talking this morning, uh, continuing to talk about Jesus through Old Testament eyes. Um, and do you remember what we talked about last week, Jesus, but more than that? <laughs> I knew what you were going to say. I wasn't in here, but I was thinking it was Jesus through Old Testament eyes. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. He's so How do you deal with this? He probably doesn't act like this at home, does he? <laughs> he stays gone a lot. Um, well, several weeks ago, um, Matt talked about Abraham and the promises, the covenant that was given to Abraham. Uh, then we moved on and talked about the covenant that was uh, given to David uh, that makes him king, and, and there's going to be a, someone on his throne for, forever. Um, last week, we talked about the exile and how the people of Israel and Judah had sinned against God. They had polluted the land with idol, idol worship. Um, they basically didn't do anything that God told them to do, um, kind of like who we were just talking about. <laughs> and they got, kicked out of the, uh, they got kicked out of the promised land. And we talked about how God was restoring them back to the land. Now, do you remember what According to, to Ezekiel, do you remember what the purpose that God, what was God's purpose for restoring them back to their land? It was for his glory. For his glory, yes. Um, his name was being profaned among the nations because they, they had been kicked out of their land. Um, so for his glory, he was restoring them back. And um, do, do. So do you remember the, the specifics about what that uh, restoration looked like according to Ezekiel? What was going to happen? What was God going to do as far as restoring the people? Um, I don't remember if we talked about rebuilding the temple or not. That's in one of the prophecies. I'm not sure if it's in, in this one. Um, dry, bones. dry bones. He's going to bring life to the dry bones, a resurrection. Um, cleansing from sin. He's going to remove their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Um, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, he's going to send his spirit to, to live within them. Um, a return to the promised land. He's going to call the, the crops to, uh, to flourish so the people will be blessed uh, with that. So we were also looking at that, how that kind of looks forward to what's going to happen in the end times, whenever heaven um, whenever, you know, after everything is said and done and, and we're in, in heaven, um, in my mind, and I don't know if this is 100% theologically correct, it's kind of like a return to the Garden of Eden. Is that bad to say that? <clears throat> it, it's not, you know, the physical Garden of Eden, but it's, it's the same kind of, kind of deal. God is there, and, uh, and remember, they also, in Ezekiel, he continually said, over and over and over again, I will be your God and you will be my people. So even though the people were, were in uh, the midst of sin, they were kicked out of their land, they were being punished, they were under judgment, God continually reminded them, I will be your God and you will be my people. And um, one of the other passages we read from, I think, a different part of Ezekiel, God called them, oh, my people, over and over and over again. 
oh my people, oh my people, oh my people. So God was punishing them, but he, he did not disown them. So look forward to, to the New Testament time. We also looked at a passage from Acts where Jesus was getting ready to ascend uh, to heaven and the disciples were around him. What did they ask him? Do you remember? This is kind of like the last thing they asked him while he was still on earth. Yeah, is now the time when you're going to return the kingdom? So they were looking at it as, as the, the kingdom uh, was, was to come back right then. Um, and remember, they had Old Testament eyes. They were not New Testament people yet. Um, so that's what they were looking like. They thought it was what the, the kingdom was going to be there. Um, and so that's what they were looking for. Um, and what did he tell, him, tell them? Do you remember that? Yeah, go tell people. So it's, it's, don't worry about the times. Don't worry about all that kind of stuff. That's, that's not up to you. Go be my witnesses. Go to all parts of the earth and spread the story. So um, now we pick up the story. Um, and we're talking about, you know, um, I guess we can take an in informal poll here, and, and I, I'll need your hands up. Who here is a sinner? Yeah. <laughs> they are. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so in the Old Testament, here's one of the, the passages that, that has to do with dealing with sin. So in Leviticus 4, if any one of the common people sins unintentionally in doing any one of the things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done, and realizes his guilt, or the sin which he has committed is made known to him, he shall bring for his offering a goat, a female without blemish, for his, son, for his sin which he has committed. And he shall lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and kill the sin offering in the place of the burnt offering. And the priest shall take some of its blood with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering and pour out all the rest of its blood at the base of the altar." And all its fat he shall remove as the fat is removed from the peace offerings. And the priest shall burn it on the altar for a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And the priest shall make atonement for him, and he shall be forgiven. So put yourself in their position, because we're trying to, trying to look at it through Old Testament eyes. Um, what would that have looked like? Messy. Yes. Because how many people would be there at the altar... Not, not just one. I mean, there'd be a lot of people there. Um, how much blood is in a goat? I don't know, but it's, it's going to be more than what you want to see. Um, what do you think it would have smelled like? I mean, you got the, the smell of the animals, you got the smell of the blood, you got the smell of the, the offering being burnt. I mean, this is not a, not a pleasant scene to, to think about. Um, what do you think it would have sounded like? <laughs> so, um, it just was. It's it's so foreign to our experience. I mean, because we never. I mean, that's that's just so foreign to, to the way we look at at forgiveness or look at um, being reconciled with somebody. I mean, if you sin against somebody, what are you supposed to do? Confess. Go to them. Apologize. Make it right. Do whatever you have to do to to make it right. You go to them. 
Um, if somebody sins against you, what are you supposed to do? Forgive them. Um, so, you know, this is just, through Old Testament eyes, you know, this was a mess. So, um, why did they lay their hand on the goat? Transfer my sin to this animal. So, you're looking at this goat's eyes. <laughs> Sorry, buddy, but... Uh, yeah, not your fault, but... Um, and then what did the death of the animal achieve? Atonement. Atonement. You're brought into to a right relationship with, with God again. Um, but, and what does that teach us about the seriousness of sin in God's view? It deserves death. It deserves death. I mean, this is not a simple thing. Oh, yeah, it's not a small thing. Um, God is kind of serious whenever he tells us, this is what I want you to do, and this is how I want you to do it. Do it that way. Um, so now we know, because we have New Testament eyes, that there is a better way. Absolutely. And, and yeah, and, and I would think um, if you had any kind of empathy or sympathy or whichever one of those is appropriate at all, that the next time that situation arises in your life, that's good. you're going to remember that. You know, so how many goats have to die for me to, you know, and um, so it, 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 yeah, I think that would make an impact on, on the heart of the, the person who was doing it. Um, and I think it would make that, that confession a little bit more real and, and understanding that it, was, that it was costly. It seems that the word unintentionally qualifies sacrifice Yes. <clears throat> I don't know what the penalty was for intentional sin, but it was probably worse than that. I don't, do you know, happen to know offhand? Any of you guys that have actually studied this? I'd have to, I'd have to look um, more, more closely at the distinction between intentional and unintentional. I know that there was provision made for people who committed intentional sins. Otherwise, I mean, otherwise, just everybody would have been wiped yeah. out. Well, I think, I think some of the intentional sins, too, and, um, you know, whenever they prescribe penalties... If you kill somebody else's ox intentionally, the penalty is different than if you accidentally or if your animal gets out and, you know, there's more of a penalty if, if it's intentional. Right. But a lot of the unintentional, they have to set up cities of refuge or places of yeah. so that that would avoid things like revenge. Yeah. Which would be considered unintentional. Yeah. So, um, so sin is, is something that, that God takes very seriously. Um, so we, we skip ahead to the New Testament. In Hebrews it says, For Christ has entered, not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. 
nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year without, with blood not his own, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who, eager, who are eagerly waiting for him. So the writer of this also has Old Testament eyes. And so he's also looking at the sacrifices of Christ through the lens of the Old Testament. So you remember, what, once a year, the high priest was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies, but he had to sacrifice, uh, make a special sacrifice to cover himself before he went in there. Um, and he would go in there on, on the behalf of his people. So Jesus, as our high priest, made the sacrifice, and now he's in the real Holy of Holies, um, because the Holy of Holies in the temple was just a picture of, of the real one. So now he's in the real Holy of Holies to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Now think about that for just a minute, and how do you, how do you feel about that? Thankful. Thank God, yes, um, because we needed somebody to, to intervene for us. Um, Pastor Sean talked last week about the passage in John where Jesus is saying, I'm going to send the, the comforter to you, the helper. And he talked about how that word is, is like an advocate. And that same, same principle applies to, to Jesus himself. Um, he advocates for us with the Father. Um, so how did he deal with our sin? Right. So he's our, our high priest, but he's also the sacrifice that the high priest brought to make himself worthy to go into the uh, Holy of Holies. Um, and when did he make that sacrifice? Kind of a simple question. On the cross. Um, and how many times does he need to do it? Only once. It, he, he took care of it uh, all at one time. Which is why, just incidentally, I just little, you know, people maybe sometimes in some church traditions, the table at the front of the sanctuary is called an altar. Uh, in our tradition, we don't call it an altar because we believe Jesus's one sacrifice mm -hmm. is over. No more altars. Um, and so this is the Lord's table. I know people unknowingly, or maybe right. they come from a different tradition, they say, well, you know, the altar, or the altar call, that altar stuff. We don't have any more altars because of, because of this. There's no more sacrifice. No more, Jesus did it. It's over, no more altar. The altar transforms into a table where we have fellowship with one another and with God through Jesus, through his blood. Right. So, again, it's a little terminological thing. We probably don't bring it up all the time, but no more altars, tables. Which yeah. is why there's a really popular song, Oh Come to the Altar, which we sing, Oh Come to the Table. And I changed the lyric on that because of that, that because we don't have an altar. But we do come to the table, and the Lord welcomes us there. 
And so that's the reason for that. Did you get a, a copyright on that on that change? I saw that there was an That's, that's interesting through the years that architecture of different churches, cathedrals, and, and whatnot, they have a lot of theological significance to what the people that built them believed. Last Sunday, I think I made a little mistake on that because I uh, told the story of my uncle who uh, lost his ministry because he thought the word should be center, central and the pulpit should be central, not off to the side. So should we pray for you then? <laughs> well, I grew up in, in a Lutheran church, and my church, and, and I don't think they thought it through like that, um, it had the, the altar, because they, they called it an altar, but Lutherans don't believe that the sacrifice is offered more than once. They, they only believe in the, in the one sacrifice, but they still call it an altar, and, um, but it didn't have sides on it. And the, the vestments that they put over it didn't go all the way to the floor. They were just short. So you could see the, the legs of it. So it was more like a table than an altar. But the, the pulpit was off to the side. <laughs> that was in the middle. Um, and the, pulp, uh, the pulpit was off to the side. Um, so that's, that's uh, interesting how that, those things work out. So um, what does that tell us about um, your sin and my sin. What does this passage uh, tell us about that? How does God view that? Right. So we're forgiven. That's how it is now. But what does it, it, and and that's that was one of the one of the points. What, the other one was: How did God feel about it before Jesus' sacrifice? Right. Right. Your sin was so severe, even though we like to think that we're we're good people and we're forgiven people, so that's that's definitely a good thing. But our sin, our sinfulness is so severe that it cost the Son of God everything. And so he shed his blood to cover that sin and to take that sin away from us. Um so God took seriously our sin, but he also took seriously his promise to us that he will be our God and we will be his people. Um, so what does, that, what does that mean about how God feels about you? 
he loves us. And he's willing to endure this. He was willing, yeah. To, to be our substitute. And strictly speaking, he made no, under no obligation to do any of this. Yeah. I mean, um, his justice doesn't demand that, that he did any of that. His mercy is what, what caused him uh, to do that for us. Um, and in a sense, it's a fulfillment of the covenant from Genesis with Abraham because he was the one who passed through all those pieces and said, let this be done to me if you, if you right. keep your side of this. And essentially on the cross, what we see is him saying, you didn't keep your side, so I'm going to experience I'm, the brokenness right. and now replace that covenant with a new covenant in my blood. You know, and I think that's so important because it, that's why the old covenant you know, is fulfilled in Christ. It's because he took on that punishment that we deserve that was part of that original mm -hmm. arrangement and now has replaced it with a covenant of mercy. Yeah. And, I mean, and it's critically important for that, yeah. Yep, if you, you know, spend any time meditating on that, you know, it just really can make you feel... Um, gives you a sense of how much God loves you. I mean, and how can you, how can you feel bad about yourself when God loves you as much as, as, much as he does? So it can, it can um, bless us in this lifetime. It's definitely gonna bless us in, in the future as, as uh, things progress. I saw this the other day on Facebook. I don't get on Facebook much, but I flipped through the, the news feed and this popped up, I don't know on whose. Was that Stephen Whittles? <laughs> Can you read that? The letters are kind of light. Read the bottom part. <clears throat> uh, Opie says, Paul, when is Jesus coming back? And, and Andy says, I don't rightly know, Opie. You see, we're not on the planning committee. We're on the welcome committee. <clears throat> so that last verse on the, the previous passage was, was what reminded me of that. Um, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So, you know, we eagerly wait for our Savior to come back. And, you know, at that point, that's when he's coming back as a king. Um, and then he will be, um, he will be over, over uh, everything. It also, I don't know if you guys ever do this whenever you're working out in the yard. I don't like working in the yard, but I'm also too cheap to pay somebody to work in my yard. So I work in my yard. Um, one, th one thing that makes it more tolerable for me is you put some good music on. So I got on Pandora, a uh, worship channel, whatever, and so I'm out there, you know, and I'm singing along in my head. I don't sing out loud. <laughs> my neighbors would. Uh, um, so I'm singing along in my head. And this song, I've, you know, I've heard it dozens of times. We sing it here, uh, My Savior, My God. Um, but the, one of the lines, the last verse, it says, He's talking about how thankful he is that he who lives to be my king, which is how Jesus is now, once died to be my savior. And it just, it just hit me with the, these passages, you know, that had been rolling around in my brain um, from here is, you know, just think about that, that, that Jesus Christ is on the throne right now. And once he died to be my savior. Um, and then, you know, uh, I forget now how the chorus goes, but <laughs> anyway. Um, but I recommend worship music when you're cutting your grass if you 
don't particularly like cutting your grass because it just, it, it makes the time go by much better and you don't grumble nearly as much as I do. Um, so again, this is just some, some of the background for the Old Testament background that the people were to kind of frame uh, what they were thinking about um, when, they, when they went into captivity. Uh, Jeremiah had been written um, not long before they went to, uh, into uh, captivity, like we were talking about last week. And this passage here in, in Jeremiah 31 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So this is, goes right along with what Ezekiel uh, was prophesying uh, whenever he says, I'm going to give you a new heart uh, and a new spirit I will put within you, and uh, that I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Um, and so this is, this is before you know, the, the Israelites came out of captivity, before the house of Judah came out of captivity. And God is telling them, this is what I'm going to do. This is, this is the ark of how this is all going to play out. So it's something new, but it's in continuity with the old. And it strikes me in a passage like this, not like in 32 there, it says, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So, you know, that shows God's care for his people, even though they were in the middle of, of slavery, in the middle of, of captivity in Egypt at that time, um, God took them by the hand and brought them out, brought, brought them out to take them to the promised land. Um, and the, the fulfillment of all the promises that he made in those days, like Kate was just saying, the fulfillment um, of those covenants comes in Christ. Christ fulfilled all, the, all those things uh, in the law and gave us a better covenant. So from you know, the very beginning to the very end, uh, God, like I was saying a minute ago, God keeps saying, I will be their God and they shall be my people. What was the name that, that Jesus had? I think it was prophesied in Isaiah that you're going to have a son and his name is going to be called Emmanuel. Wonderful counselor, but Emmanuel, which means God with us. Um, and then all the way in, in Revelation 21.3, it says, um, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. So God himself is going to be our God, and in, in this is the, the final time. Um, and another one from Isaiah 53, um, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. What did people think about Jesus when he was hanging on the cross? 
Not, not the Christians, not the disciples, because they were, you know, but people walking by, do you remember what it says? Why didn't, Why didn't he save himself? They were making fun of him. They were shaking their head, you know. Uh, hate it for you. But, you know, they were, they were making fun of, of Jesus. They esteemed him, esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his, his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now this was written about 100, 150 years before Jeremiah and Ezekiel. So they already had this as part of their background when they went into captivity. Um, that God was going to do something different. And this is I mean, a pretty, pretty definite uh, way of, of how God is going to do that, how God is going to bring that about. God is going to lay our sins on him um, and then sacrifice him on our behalf. Um, I think some probably did. Not, not to the extent that we would now, because they didn't see it. And, and, you know, this is 700 years, 600 years before Christ came, came on earth. Um, but I think they had an idea, some of them. What do you think the Jewish people think about that verse now? The ones I've heard talk about that whole chapter, they either, two, two responses. Number one, they don't know what to do with, chap, um, with chapter 53, because it, it goes on and on about, about Jesus. And so in our New Testament eyes, it's very clear what God was talking about here. They will say they don't know what, the ones I've, I've heard, I can't say they, all of them, they will say they don't understand what, it, what he was talking about. There are some that will say that that chapter talks about Israel, that Israel is the suffering servant of God. Have you heard any... Right. I would think it's hard to explain. I wouldn't want to preach on that if I was in the Jewish. Yes. Some people refer to that to the Holocaust as Isaiah 53 having to do with the Holocaust. Oh, okay. It doesn't make sense to me, but it makes sense to them apparently. <laughs> well, there's an old saying, tell, tell yourself what you want to hear, I guess. But yeah, I mean, and that's, I hadn't heard that specifically, but yeah, if, if you look at, at Israel itself as the sacrificial lamb, then, I mean, as the, the suffering servant that, that's talked about in Isaiah 53, um, it just seems like there would be problems with them trying to make that consistent. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah, you would think that that would have to be part of it if they're going to take that approach to, to what that means. 
but no, they, I've never heard that either. I think it's in there. My, I have one one Jewish friend that uh, that I was close enough to talk about things with it, things like this about with him, and I don't think he knew anything about this chapter and didn't particularly care, because his whatever um, sect or whatever of Judaism that he was in was much more of a eth- ethnic rather than a really practicing. I mean, just to. As an example, the first time that I ate a meal with him, it was breakfast and he had bacon, so. <laughs> and he was telling me how good the bacon was. How did, how did somebody do the transition from the punishment of the Old Testament to the punishment of the New Testament without accepting Jesus as their binding principle? Do they continue to feel like it's not a sacrifice? I think they, they still... I still think they think that the sacrifice, sacrificial system is valid, but they don't have a temple, so they can't. And so I think they're looking forward to the, when the temple is rebuilt, and then they're able to and do their sacrifices again. Yeah, they have the, they have like the whole like Mishnah and all these other writings about the rabbis. Because I asked a Jewish person about that. So how do you how do you reconcile you know the law and the sacrifice system? You don't have a Minor little issue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but the thing I don't understand is why there's nothing, it seems like there's nothing preventing them from setting up a tabernacle again. I'm not sure why they would do that. Well, I, can you imagine what would break it, what, what would break out if they tried to do that? Build a tabernacle? Yeah. It, at least on the, on the spot. I would think that they would have to be on the on the spot since since that's God's spot. That's in Missouri. <laughs> <laughs> it is. The Temple Lot there's a certain small group of Mormons that, that they have the they have the Temple Lot, but they don't have many people. But they believe that's where the temple will be built. Okay. <laughs> I've been to Missouri once and I liked it, so maybe, you know. Maybe that's a good spot. There was a, and I don't know if you guys have ever seen this, there was a, a group that tours around and like a church will sponsor them and they have a, a tabernacle that they will set up, you know, and then you pay them $5 or whatever to come in and, and see it, which is really neat because it's um, to the same measurements that the, that the tabernacle was built, the same decorations that the, that the tabernacle was, you know, and it just kind of makes it all, make more sense whenever you can see because you know you're reading in these passages and you know so many cubits by so many cubits and this many poles and that many you know the curtains of this and that and the other it's hard for you to keep keep up with but they they have constructed this model of the of the uh, tabernacle that 
um, that they take around. It's, it's, it's neat to see if you ever get a chance to, to see it. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, there's there's a lot of we're talking about architecture and, and theological significance. There's a lot of theological significance in the the way that a lot of the, those things were were done. It's it's really a neat neat thing to look into. Um, as providence would have it, we're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper today. So do you remember in that first passage we looked at in Leviticus, um, you put your hand on the head of the goat, then you'd kill the goat, um, and you collect the blood, and the priest puts with his finger some of the blood on the horns of the altar. What did he do with the rest of it? Poured it out. Um, so one of the passages um, that has to do with, with Jesus instituting the, the Lord's Supper while they were sitting at a table instead of an altar. <laughs> now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples, and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Um, I included this passage because some of the commentators that I was reading think that Jesus was specifically alluding to the passage in, in Leviticus, where the blood was poured out. Um, makes makes a, a good uh, bookend for the, for the passage. Um, but, but regardless of whether he was thinking about that specific passage or not, he shed the blood of, of the new covenant that, that we have and that, that we have the privilege of celebrating. Um, and it's poured out uh, for many for the forgiveness, for the forgiveness of sins. Um, so, comments. I'm glad we're celebrating the Lord's Supper today. It's a good time. Yes. I've had that thought on my conscience every once in a while. And that is. Absolutely.
and I don't know if it has any significance, but it was torn from top to bottom. And I don't know if they were just saying, I don't know if the, the gospel writer said that because, you know, just as an indicator that man didn't do it, but God did it. <laughs> and, and threw open the Holy of Holies. That, yeah, it's hard to you know, get your mind wrapped around that. Anything else? Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time where we've had to come together and to look into your word. And Father, we don't have the words to express our gratitude to you for sending your son Jesus to take on the burden of our sin and our sinfulness uh, and pay the price that we couldn't pay. So Father, thank you. Father, we look forward to this time of worship that we have coming up. Pray that you would fill Pastor Joel with your words as he preaches to us. And Father, we look forward to the, the time at, at your table where we celebrate um, how much you love us. Father, thank you. We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.